Greetings and welcome to Life After Corona, a conversation between the elephant and concerned citizens on the past, present, and possible futures for this pandemic. The impact of COVID has been, I mean, quite critical on how the economy has functioned over the last uh, four months. Of course, the respective industries and sectors of society are affected differently, depending on where they stand in terms of the COVID-19. So we would look at say, six or seven different facets of society. One of them is, of course, the stock market. I mean, the stock market has been in limbo in those four months. It took some significant dips and then some recoveries along the way, but then on a general downward trend, which really didn't start with COVID. It started a bit further back. And in many ways, the impact of this um, performance reflects part of the wider challenges with the liquidity in the market. And so with each trading session, the indices, especially the 20 share index, has been shedding value for quite a while and making you know, minimal gains here and there along the way. But then the, the longer term trend seems to be one of you know, an overall slight dip and slight recoveries without a clear direction on where to go, especially in its you know, challenges as the reflection of the wider uh, liquidity in the market. Um, on the other hand, we have the aviation sector, which... By and large, I mean, when you look at how the respective airlines have gotten back into business, but then there was the report about the more than 100 flights or rather planes that were grounded. And of course, the, the government authorities were declaring uh, fines and parking fees and issuing threats of auctions in case they were not moved, both public and private flights, which of course reflects a stress in the market. And that, of course, has also come with significant pay cuts for the employees in the in the sector and a significant dip in the value of the entire industry since it's also connected with another respective industry, which is the tourism and hospitality sector that suffered significantly in two ways. The grounding of the flights ensured that nobody is coming into the country. But also, on the other hand, the local tourists had overseen a reduction in their purchasing power, which means they're able to prioritize more basic goods as opposed to leisure travel uh, in the long haul. The manufacturing sector, of course, has been on a downward trend. Also, we've been deindustrializing quite significantly over the last five years, beginning in 2015. Of course, the different subsectors have different um, reactions. Uh, the production of some of the COVID-related materials and COVID-related um, items has, of course, seen a boost uh, you know, in terms of production of masks and production of sanitizers, production of uh, PPEs, production of food and generally the health products because of a spike in local demand for these items. And especially given the fact that the global supply chain was disrupted, so there was a bit of a higher dependency on local goods, locally produced goods and services in the market. The construction and real estate sector, of course, um, the construction saw a dip early on, but then it stabilized. It's, it, the, the wider real estate market has taken a hit, and it's not one that is about to end so soon. Though the claims about um, the possibility of the collapse of the real estate sector are a bit of an overreach because it doesn't have a debt bubble which would precipitate a real estate bubble. A lot of these developments are rather built by you know, in cash or by firms who have much more stronger uh, liquidity positions than real estate sectors in other regions of the of the you know of the world of the continent 
the agriculture sector has been a mixed bag. A lot of people moving into farming as they try to create alternatives for themselves. But then on the overall, it's, um, it has seen a, de- a dip in demand for their products because kids are at home. And uh, so the demand by schools and financial institutions, which makes up a big part of you know, the demand for these goods by, uh, you know, in the market has seen a significant dip because this, of course, affects you know, the production, it affects storage issues, it affects you know, uh, the purchasing uh, power of consumers in the market because as there is as an oversupply of these products. What we've seen is also uh, people moving away from certain products. But there's, there's also a very interesting um, aspect to the agriculture sector, which is the factor that the agriculture reforms going on in the cashew sector, in the tea sector, in coffee, in maize, and a significant number of other agricultural produce might just produce the kind of desired outcomes that you want to see, especially on the regulatory, on the production side of it, the compensation to farmers, and the level of autonomy that farmers have over their products in the market. And that, of course, is a significant aspect of this issue. The other one you have to look at, of course, is the consumer purchasing power, um, which has dipped significantly month on month since March. Of course, on the back of salary cuts, job cuts, redundancies, reduced uh, working hours, you know, a significant glut in the labor demand and uh, on the demand side of the labor market. And so, of course, this not only dips on the purchasing power of consumers, also the consumer confidence has taken a hit over the months because this um, this dip, this decline has also affected how consumers are able to approach the market in terms of issues of savings. In the wider, looking at it, yeah, the remittances dipped initially in March and April, but then it saw a significant increase in parts of May going into June. And this could be explained in a number of ways. One, it could be a faster rebound in the, in the countries, in the respective countries where the Kenyans who make these foreign remittances are. Or also it could be looked at alternatively as, you know, the people in these foreign countries increasing the amount of money they're sending at home to their parents and to their dependents to compensate for the job losses and the redundancies and the pay cuts that are going on locally. So there's a twofold way of, you know, disaggregated way of looking at at that. But on the overall, it's much harder to predict where the economy would go from here. It's harder to predict how the respective sectors would react you know going forward given that we are slowly learning to accommodate covid and its impact and the changes that it's brought to you know the economy to the consumers and to the respective sectors industries and subsectors in the country but on the overall we are seeing a massive significant changes in terms of how the economy works and these changes are bound to last at least in the short and medium term. And in many ways, this will also shape the, you know, the future structure of the Kenyan economy. I mean, the other facet of the society that we actually need to address is you know, this issue of the revenue allocation and the all kinds of facets and conversations coming up you know, about that revenue allocations and especially in the devolved fund and the space for the equalization fund. But then there's the other conversation that you know, we are not having as part of our contemporary economic reality, which is what happened to the other 85%? What happens to the the amount that stays with the national government? Because if we are truly committed to bringing you know, the equitable, equitable uh, distributions 
or rather equitable distribution of resources, then the one thing we will need to do is also look at the place of parastatals in you know, bringing money to the ground. And you, you also have to be cognizant of the fact that ministries get allocated billions of shillings um, and a lot of this money, some way more than individual and even certain you know, collective counties, regional counties receive in a financial year. And so as part of our ability to you know, correct these historical injustices, then we'll have to look at the space for ministries and the space for parastatals in these conversations. One of them is the geographical realities. So, for example, why should we have um, why should we have uh, parastatals based in Nairobi when the the primary uh, professional, social, cultural, or citizenry, or the people they provide services to, or the respective professionals that it seeks to address, whose issues it rather it seeks to address are in counties halfway across the, uh, around the country. And so these are issues that we have to look into. These are issues that we have to confront. These are issues that we have to you know, address. The fact that some of these um, parastatos needs to be moved away from you know, Nairobi to and Mombasa and some of these major cities to their respective regional spaces where they provide the requisite um, services. And then, of course, is also the reform of these parastatals to align them with the you know, new devolved uh, realities in terms of uh, governance systems. Um, and so this becomes how we are able to push the 85 billion out of this space. If Galana Kulalu is that critical, then all the respective parastatals need to go there. If you know, the Turkana oil and the other respective mineral resources uh, you know, in the country and the extractive uh, policies that are put in place to try and get these minerals from the ground, then the respective parastatals need to be domiciled geographically in those spaces and established in such a way that they are closest to where the people are and they are best closest to the people who need the services that, whether it's a parastatal, whether it's an agency, a government agency, whether it's a commission, um, whether it's a, it's, it's a caucus, whether it's, you know, irrespective of the constitution of the, you know, the governance or the government body in question, it needs to be geographically and regionally best at the place where it's, of course, needed the most. But then there's the other facet of you know, also the operationalization of government uh, functions, such that, you know, when you look at the CARPS um, report, which brings out the fact that there's a huge age difference um, in terms of how uh, the, the, the governance systems work in the country. And it's able to capture this reality that a lot of uh, civil servants in the country do not uh, use a technology. Um, so part of parastatal reforms requires that we take into account the capacity assessment and, re and rationalization of the public service uh, and how it speaks into both generational issues in terms of uh, the fact that majority of the people in government, uh, rather in public service, are older. So they do not rely, use or utilize technology as efficiently as they should, both in the workspaces but also um, in their respective home. And so this digital divide, this digital illiteracy comes with a lot of 
challenges or this aversion to you know technology and its capacity to transform a lot of what happens in the public spaces especially in light of the covid realities and so this is something that has to be taken in a, into account how do you automate these processes when um, have a significant portion of you know, the, the the public service uh, community or the public service simply admit to not being tech savvy enough to be able to you know, work remotely, uh, meet remotely, submit work rep- remotely, because this brings in the problem of, number one, um, inefficiency and redundancy, because a lot of work that should have been automated by now are not automated. The second issue is, of course, the issue of institutional memory. If these people are not chronicalizing the work they do, they are not uh, putting this information in some form or shape in and in, in format that is transmissible to future generations, then what happens to institutional memory in a, if the respective people working on certain respective skills, first of all, are not surrounded by young people, neither are they are very keen on using technology, whether to execute their work or to store the, you know, this respective work. And so these are some of those big issues that we have to look into. Um, and if not addressed, then they'll leave us at a space where we are not able to fully utilize the, 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 the respective resources, whether it's the, you know, the, the human skills and talents, whether it's uh, tech adoption or technology adoption, or whether it's uh, a greater diversity in terms of um, age and profession in government, uh, whether this is an issue of you know, regionalization of respective parastatals to be able to ensure that they are closest to the people they provide the services, but also it ensures that where they are respectively best develops automatically because the demand for housing, demand for food staff, demands for household staff, demand for you know amenities and auxiliary services go up. And in turn, these respective spaces where the parastatals are pushed to, you know, to go and exist develop organically and in a much faster pace. Yeah.